Music is everywhere. Every molecule, every atomic particle of creation pulses with pizzazz and with praise. The universe dances, I think, to the jazz of joy. Creation sings of its creator. The biologist Lewis Thomas said, termites make percussive sounds like the notes of a timpani section. Fish make sounds by clicking their teeth, blowing air, and drumming with special muscles against tuned inflated air bladders. The thrush in my backyard, he says, sings down his note in meditative liquid runs of melody over and over again, and I have the strangest impression that he does this for pleasure. Some of the time, he seems to be practicing like a virtuoso in his apartment. It is a meditative kind of music, and I cannot believe that he is simply saying, Thrush here. You can hear the music in the trumpeting cry of an elephant, the playful greeting of a dolphin, the upward call of a soaring hawk. You can hear it in the contented sighs of a baby feeding at her mother's breath and the rhythmic breathing of a child sleeping in his father's arms, in the playful barking of a puppy and a young child's squeal of delight as the puppy runs circles round her feet. You can even hear music in a weary man's soft murmur of contentment as he rests finally in love's shelter, in the quiet grateful arms of a woman who has welcomed her husband home from a tour of duty in harm's way. In the irrepressible waves of laughter of friends who tell stories around the table until it's late in the night, so late in the night that the most unfunny things strike them as funny. The hills really are alive with the sound of music. All nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. Or as Psalm 19 says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament declares God's handiwork. Can that really be true? Some of us worry that though this poetry speaks to our hearts and expresses our hopes, we worry that Rodney Dangerfield was right when he said, when I hold a seashell to my ear, I get a busy signal. (laughs) We we fear that, that modern science has issued orders, which if we complied with them, would silence the songs, empty the choir lofts, and disassemble the pipe organ. We have the impression that contemporary physics and biology have blown the whistle on God talk and God song and ruled them out of bounds against the rules. And the headlines don't help. In the headlines, the media frames the issue between science and religion the way the media frames every issue as an either-or, either secular or sacred, either science or religion, either evolution or creation, either Darwin or Genesis. There are some 
theologians who cover their eyes and stick their fingers in their ears and refuse to learn anything at all from modern science. They insist on a woodenly literal reading of Genesis and believe that the earth was created about 6,000 years ago in seven 24-hour days, complete with rocks and fossils that appear to be millions, even billions of years older, just so God can mislead us, apparently. Not many, but a few theologians think that way. And there are scientists who think that it's the same thing to say Darwin got it right to Darwin tells the whole story. I'm tired of these either-ors. And I stand here as a near casualty of a foolish war between science and faith. You probably haven't known me long enough to know that I have a pretty deep and strong impulse to be a cynic. I've, I've worked very hard to tame it over the years, but cynicism is nearly my default mode. And when I was about 16 years old, I began to experience what I thought was unique to me. Now I know it's very common. I began to experience a kind of crisis because I couldn't piece together very well what I had learned in church and what I was learning in science. So I made an appointment. I went to see the pastor of the church I was attending. It wasn't the church I grew up in. I went to see the pastor of the church I was attending, and I said to him, quite honestly, I've got, I've got a problem. I'm, I'm, I'm learning things in school that don't match what I think I learned in Sunday school. Can you help me? And he said, son, I should have known I was in trouble when he said, son. (laughs) He said, son, it's a sin to doubt. If you just quit asking all these questions, these troubles would go away. Well, that's when my cynicism kicked in. (laughs) And I thought, this man is hiding something. (laughs) And I left the church and didn't go back until I was a sophomore in college. And I made a vow when I finally reclaimed an old call to ministry that I would try my best never to do to a young person or an old person what he had done to me. It's malpractice, I think. (laughs) So I nearly lost my way and lost my faith because people wouldn't at first help me with this kind of dilemma, this kind of problem. But eventually I learned, thank goodness, that science and faith speak about the same reality, but with different languages. And science is particularly skilled at answering questions of how. But faith is adept at answering questions of why and who. Frank Schaeffer, not not his famous father, Francis Schaeffer, Schaeffer, but Frank Schaeffer, said that when we learned that H2O, two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen, make water, we haven't begun to understand the significance of water. 
He says, we know what water is. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. We know what water is, but it's also fun to jump into and play in. Good to drink, beautiful to look at, exciting to sail on, capable of putting one to sleep with the sound of lapping waves. It's useful for baptizing. It's responsible for inspiring artists to paint. And water is wet. (laughs) Schaefer said that for him, the meaning of water is most real these days when he gives his granddaughter Lucy a bath. (laughs) Lucy loving her bath and smiling when she kicks and splashes all the water out of the baby tub is also why water exists. The pleasure we take in a baby's pleasure might be a hint of what our meaning is too. The pleasure of God enjoying our pleasure at existing in the midst of this wonderful creation. So I'm simply saying science can tell us what H2O, water. But it can't tell us what water means, the significance of it. And so it is with bread and cup and oil and all the other gifts of creation. Science can tell us how and what, but not why and who. Fact and meaning. Karl Barth once said that air passing through a metal cylinder can make a vacuum cleaner or a pipe organ or a flute. And he said science is a lot like a vacuum cleaner. But faith is like a flute or a pipe organ. The heavens are telling the glory of God. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature really does sing. The poet Edward Hirsch imagines that even his cat, Jeffrey, purrs and hums in praise of the Creator. Hirsch wrote, It is Jeffrey and every creature like him who can teach us how to pray. Purring in their own language, wreathing themselves in the living fire. The psalm invites us to join Jeffrey and all of creation, all of creation, in savoring, thanking, and singing to God about the wonders of our world. So open your eyes, open your ears, open your heart to experience the greatness, the goodness, the generosity of God in the gifts of creation. But God's speech in the world isn't enough because sometimes the speech, the language of nature is ambiguous. Nature is beautiful, to be sure, but it can also be brutal. There are hurricanes and tsunamis, not just spring rains and gentle breezes. So God's speech in the world is delightful, often delightful, and causes, calls us to praise. 
But we need to know more than what God says to us through creation. And that's why this psalm says that God also speaks to us in scriptures. They revive the soul, impart wisdom, rejoice the heart, enlighten the eyes, and endure forever. Now, for Christians, of course, the scriptures come to their fullest and highest promise and focus when they point us to Jesus. The scriptures are written words. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And the purpose of scripture is to point us to him. And when we read the scriptures thoughtfully, prayerfully, regularly, they shape our minds to think like Jesus thinks. Our hearts to feel as Jesus feels. Our wills to will as Jesus wills and our bodies to kneel and serve as Jesus knelt and served. The scriptures reach their highest purpose when they point us to Jesus and make us like Jesus. The Bible has a way of weaving itself into our personalities and it slowly changes us into people like Jesus. God uses the scripture, the words of the Bible, to teach us about love, to touch us with mercy, to guide us into wisdom. So it's for that reason that the psalmist says, these words are more to be desired than gold. They're sweeter than honey. Anne Lamont reminded me of a lovely Hasidic story of a rabbi who always told his people that if they studied Torah, it would put scripture on their hearts, on their hearts. One of them asked, why on our hearts, Rabbi? Why not in our hearts? And the rabbi answered, only God can put scripture inside. But reading a sacred text can put it on your hearts so that when your heart breaks, the holy words fall inside. The holy words of Scripture fall inside our broken, struggling, and searching hearts, and they speak to us with the voice of Jesus. And His is the voice we most need to hear. We need to hear Him say to us when we feel guilty. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When we're afraid and anxious, we need to hear him say to us again, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. When we're exhausted, when we can't Manage, we think, to put a foot in front of a foot. We need to hear Jesus say, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We need to hear him say, When we feel out of step with our culture, 
We need to hear him say, remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, not the haughty, the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. Blessed are the humble. They will inherit the earth. When we feel ourselves lonely and we notice the loneliness of others, we need to hear him say, love one another as I have loved you. When we feel isolated, alone, abandoned even, we need to hear him promise us again, I will not leave you orphaned. Nothing will ever separate you from me. And over and over and over again, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Amen.